This is Rob Carbone, and you're listening to BD4. Here's Barrett, so she can make down the three. Stats and in the crowd with Barrett. Five on the 24. Barrett previously in the airport. The drive, the land. That's a ball. Gets it back. Keeps it out there. Barrett for three. R.J. Barrett from downtown. He can trigger three. Gets another triple. Looking for more. Look to the bottom. Game one, how was I supposed to expect this much offense? Glasnell versus Kershaw. Granted, neither of them have been postseason masters so far, but shit. I had the, I had the under on 9.5 tonight. I had the under. And we are in the, the bottom of the six as I speak. And, you know, they're already on the verge of going over. Nine runs total so far. So I have to, I have to have four or, uh, Three more innings of shutout baseball. But that ain't happening. I really didn't think this would happen. I thought it would be somewhat of a pitching duel. Fuck. Tell you what, though, the Dodgers are beating the Rays pretty bad. You know, they've got eight of those runs. And, um... If they keep playing at this rate, man, (laughs) they're taking it home. And their pitching staff is just as capable of being as great as Tampa's is. But on the offensive end, they've got a team who makes a lot of contact. You know, they were, uh, I think, in the in the top four in terms of uh, strikeout percentage. And then they were also amongst, you know, the top seven, placing seventh in total hits this season. And they're doing that. They've got guy. They've got guys like that who can make you know put the ball in play. And um, you know, adding Mookie Betts on your squad does a lot because he's one of those guys who does that. He just hit a nice homer to right field, poked it the other way, shot one out. So now it's nine runs total in the game, and I'm mean, my over under uh, looks like I'm fucked. <laughs> um, yeah, whatever. You know, the one thing about this World Series, I love how there are uh, finally fans in the seats, by the way. This is in Texas, I believe. Um, strike three. I love about this World Series, you know, it continues to really show the world that the, the MLB postseason is not this crapshoot. You know, that's been the fake narrative these past couple of years has, you know, it's been that the MLB is a crapshoot. Never believed it for a minute. You know, I think that's one of those pointless fucking, not pointless, but, um, you know, senseless would be the best term, uh, narratives out there. The Dodgers had the best record in the National League. The Rays had the best record in the American League. Last season, the Nationals had the best record in the second half and overall had a very strong season. Um, when the Astros won, they had the best record. Uh, Boston, you know, 109 wins two, uh, three years ago. 
it's you know you'll have your exceptions here and there, but for the most part, we continue to see that the MLB postseason is no crapshoot. Even in a sixteen-team structure like this year, where it's a little different, continues to be the better teams win. And here we are seeing that again. By the way, uh, I put out a hot take earlier tonight on Facebook. Don't use Twitter anymore, really. So, um, you know, most of my takes are going to be on Facebook. Put out a hot take on Facebook, and I, you know, nobody really uses fucking Facebook anymore. I'm talking to myself when I post on there, but I'll tell you guys right here who are listening or watching. Tyler Glass now is heading towards that overrated um, type of uh, label. He's been hyped up. I, this is probably the third year in a row where he's becoming a big name. But, you know what? Seven seasons in? Only one year where he pitched 11 times in 2019 has he had an ERA below four. And that was an amazing year where it was in the ones, I believe. But it's been above four in every year outside of that one year. And you look at the postseason track record. Another poor performance tonight. The ERA is well above five. Um, The sample size is getting pretty big. And if you want to pick it apart game by game, because sometimes ERA postseason ERAs can be deceiving, a lot of mediocre starts, some dominant ones, some okay ones, but postseason resume isn't that pretty. The regular season resume isn't there yet. He's got the fucking stuff to be a lights-out ace, okay? He's got the potential to be a number one guy, but he hasn't done it yet, and we're getting that hype. You know, so I think that's the definition of overrated, right? It's a good player, but not as good as he's made out to be. And so while Tyler Glass now has all the abilities to be a number one guy, a number fucking one guy, and I think he could be, while he has those abilities, he hasn't been pitching to that caliber as consistently yet. That's overrated. He's better than what he is right now. He's talked about as better than what he is. So that's my hot take. Get on me all you want, but the numbers don't lie. If you watch the baseball games, it doesn't lie. Um, Clayton Kershaw actually turned in a pretty good performance for the Dodgers tonight. Speaking of, um, you know, mediocre postseason resumes. Yeah, looks like he won six innings and just that one run for Tampa. So the Dodgers look like they have this one wrapped up. Um... Hopefully we can get a couple of clean innings for the rest of the way here so I can win my uh, 9.5 under. <laughs> but, um, yeah, let, let, let's get to tonight's episode, which is not going to be about baseball. Um, talking Knicks in a bit, but I do want to talk about... Um, you guys excited for... I don't know if anybody fucking watches MMA, but are you guys excited for Saturday? Now, the shitty thing is... For some reason, the main card, of uh, the main event on the card, starts at 2 p.m. I don't like how they just suddenly switched it on us. I loved watching these game, those. You know, I'm able to stay up late on the weekends, um, with no work or school the next day, so I love staying up past midnight watching the main event. But now it's fucking in the middle of a fucking Saturday. I'm sure most people like that, but you know nocturnal owls like me and don't, don't like it. Um, 
But I'm excited for the Khabib versus Justin Gaethje fight. Oh man, am I excited. Uh, this past weekend, Ortega beat the Korean Zombie. That was good for me because I had some scuttle on Ortega. And um, obviously the week before that was that fucking kick heard around the world. That spinning kick on Buckley. Oh, shit. But yeah, I'm excited for the Khabib fight. 28-0, the guy is. Um, and this Geishi kid, I've seen some tape of him. He's fucking aggressive. He's powerful. You know, he's somebody who you don't want to fuck with. But he is the underdog. He is the underdog in this fight coming up. So we'll see what happens. But I think I am going to... Um, I'm going to go with him. I'm going to go with him. I like him. I like him a lot. All right. Yes. Let's let's uh, head to break. Um, but before we do, guys, I was on a podcast the other day recording with my buddy Greg. So that should be up in a couple of days. Sometime this week on Yankee Crazy Podcast, which you can find on Anchor, Apple, and a bunch of other platforms, Spotify, etc. So um, be sure to follow and subscribe to Greg's podcast, Yankee Crazy Podcast. I was on his show on Sunday night. We recorded Sunday afternoon, and we talked about the Yankee season review. More postseason talk than anything, because that's all that matters in New York. Um, and so, yeah, be sure to check that out. It's coming out in a couple of days, I would think. Um, so stay tuned and subscribe to Yankee Crazy Podcast if you want to hear me on Greg's show. I was also on um, my buddy Leo Rodriguez's podcast. He has a new podcast, Leo, called Say No More, where he talks mostly sports, but I think he mixes in some life shit, too. Um, and Say No More, we are up to two episodes there, Leo. I have been on both of those episodes with Leo. Uh, Leo was the host. I, I am his editor. So if you guys want to check out Leo Rodriguez, follow him on Facebook or on Instagram. Um, I will put the link in the, in the uh, description for you. And um, I will put the link on you know, the thread once I publish the podcast on social media. Say No More is the name of Leo's podcast. Say No More. And um, you know he's also on Apple Anchor. And um, all those platforms as well. <laughs> Laughing because fucking everybody's wearing masks. And Joey Wendell's out here. I mean, I, uh, masks. Everybody's wearing fucking batting gloves. <laughs> and Joey Wendell's out here. <laughs> no batting gloves at all. Every single game. I've never seen the guy wear batting gloves. I love it. It's old school. it's fucking old school as shit. Reminds me of, it reminds me of Slurring my words. It reminds me of Jorge Posada. Fucking never did. Never wore the batting gloves. Alright, enough procrastinating because I really don't want to get into Nick's talk. But, you know, we'll talk about a few things tonight. Um, you know, it's 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 still slow in the, in the headlines. You know, it's still pretty slow. There's nothing going on other than just rumors rumors and more rumors um there's been a mike miller to the to the houston rockets fucking rumor you know does jeff van gundy get hired over there um i'm hearing mike miller might go there too former knicks assistant coach slash interim head coach this past season 
Um, he's an assistant at the moment. I'm hearing the Knicks are eyeing Killian Hayes. And again, that's one of the guys I like at number eight. He is a project, and I know I kind of contradicted myself by saying I do not want any projects. But, you know, with this draft, man, who the fuck knows? My opinion changes every fucking day. It's just a shallow draft. There goes my fucking over-under official. Oh, not yet. It's about to be, but... Yeah. Um, Killian Hayes, you know, they're eyeing him at number eight. Do they not trade up for LaMelo Ball? You know, and if the Knicks are to select someone like Killian, if he does fall to eight and they do pick him, he's a good player. You know, outside of the ability that, outside of the fact that he doesn't have the best shooting yet, um, he's got good abilities as a point guard. You know, he can run the pick and roll very effectively. He's a very shifty type of point guard. You know, changes speeds pretty effectively. He, um, you know, I, I know the Knicks like his potential pairing with Frank Nilakina, being that they're both French point guards, um, you know, could help the chemistry there. You know, and again, Hayes is more of a project than these other guys, but I think what the Knicks like and what I like is his supreme skill set is probably, you know, better than a lot of these point guards in the draft as well. Outside of outside of LaMelo Ball. The fucking shooting, I think he was only 29% this past season in Germany, but the free throw percentage was pretty good. So the good indicators, you know, the indicators to be a good shooter are there. Um, and you know, I've heard some comps like fucking, I've heard comps like, uh, I don't know. Uh, what's that? What's that fucking small point guard's name? Darren something. I've heard a fucking good one that I agree with. If he does pan out D'Angelo Russell, that's probably my favorite one, but that's probably his ceiling Killian. And I see that, you know, if he does pan out, I see D'Lo. So it's a fucking cool, you know, a cool little rumor there to see that the Knicks are eyeing the point guard I like. Um, and then again, we're gonna get into some more specific things. I, I guess we'll talk about the CP3 trade rumors that you know have, have gone on really ever since the Knicks season ended. Um, and then we'll talk about these more recent rumors that have surfaced. Is um, it's the Emmanuel Quickly? Is that how you pronounce his name? Rumors. Um, Emmanuel Quickly from Kentucky. Kentucky point guard, um, and the Knicks are eyeing him to pick at 38, their third draft pick this season, which is in the second round. So quickly at 38 is a potential decision uh, the Knicks could make. So we'll talk about those things in a second, but as soon as we get back from break, we will get to that. So let's head to break first. A little plug, and um, yeah, be right back. All right, fellas. So really quick, I just want to remind you that if you haven't subscribed to my podcast on the many different platforms that I'm on, you can do so right now. And all you got to do to do that is go to my website. Just go to nysportstalkrc.wordpress.com forward slash connect. Once again, in order to subscribe to the podcast and listen to the podcast or watch it on the many platforms we have, go to my website at nysportstalkrc.wordpress.com forward slash connect. So, yeah, I mean, uh, with with this whole thing with the Rockets, their GM stepping down, I think it was a mutual agreement, but he pretty much got fired. Um, there's a chance that 
Westbrook is traded to the Knicks. Not a chance. It's not really a chance. But we talked about that in episode 168, how um, I don't love that. And that's probably the worst move the Knicks could make, um, in my opinion. Having to pay that salary um, a lot of money. And it, it's not for very long. So you trade a lot of players. Trade a couple of your building blocks just for you know, an expensive player who's pretty reckless to begin with and is not a winner to leave you in a couple of years. And you're going to have to start this whole process over again in a worse spot. You know, not a good idea. Um, but we've also heard, like I said, these Chris Paul, Chris fucking Paul rumors. And that, that's been something that's been happening for a while. These talks, right? OKC looking to shed some salary, maybe this offseason. I know Danilo Gallinari is he's a free agent, um, and he's you know coming off one of his better seasons in twelve years, probably his second best year. I looked at the numbers, so he's going to be expensive to an extent. Stephen Adams is already on a large contract; they're going to continue paying him, so they're going to be close to the cap, and they're going to need some breathing room. So that's where the whole CP3 trade talk has been uh, fueled from. We'll start with the pros. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, the first one, he's good. He's a good player, right? He's an all-star caliber point guard still. Um, he'll bring some credibility to the Knicks. Some stability at the point guard position. A competitive product on the floor. Might, maybe maybe he'll change the culture a bit. And maybe he'll attract some free agents, right? Being that first all-star caliber point guard since Marbury. And even then, I don't think he won an all-star with the Knicks. Made an all-star with the Knicks. Um, you know, so that's the good thing. He's a good point guard. That's the one pro to start. He's going to make you a more competitive team to an extent. Um, and there's also the veteran leadership thing that people love to throw out there, especially with, the, with you know being a Yankees fan, being a Yankees fan. I fucking heard that shit so much with Brett Gardner, with CC Sabathia in his older days. Gosh, but yeah, there's that veteran leadership. You know, CP3 is an excellent leader, one of the better leaders in the NBA. People say he doesn't have a ring, and you know that's that's big, but. perfect time to sip that's just my opinion um, but no you know veteran leadership will help Frank Nielkina maybe a point guard you know he'll help RJ and Mitch become more efficient more productive you know the whole CP3 effect right he plays with the Clippers DeAndre Jordan gets career highs um, he goes to the fucking uh, Rockets and Clint Capella develops into an all-star caliber player so, by the way, ever since Clint got traded, Capella, we've never heard of him. I was just thinking that. Never heard his name since. Um, but the CP3 effect, right? Comes and he helps players become better. Makes his, you know, that whole cliche, he makes his teammates better. The cons. <laughs> the cons. Um, There are quite a few on my list. First and foremost, it's a very pricey contract the Knicks would have to pay, right? Um, 
There goes my fucking over-under. Official. It's official. Damn it, man. That's a lot of fucking runs for a fucking game one. Ten runs already and counting. Damn it. <laughs> Fuck. All right. Um, Where were we? Where were we? We were at pricey contract. Yes. They're going to have to pay an expensive contract, the Knicks. You know, being that, what is he owed? $41 million in 2021. And then 2022, $44 million with a player option that year. Are you fucking kidding me? That's a ton of money for an aging vet. He's going to take away a lot of cap flexibility there. You know, I know the Knicks are able to create approximately, I read somewhere, $45 million this offseason in cap space. So taking away a chunk of that cap right there. A chunk. With the over $40 million you're going to have to pay him for two years. So that takes away the Giannis in 2021 free agency dream, right? That fantasy dream. That takes the Giannis away. Could. Could also take away the chance to add depth, you know, with a pricey contract like that, which is huge. You know, that's that's look what happened in 2020. The Knicks had some terrible depth. And they lost a lot of games. Losing games because they didn't have the guys to fill in off the bench and so so forth. Secondly, you know, another con I have here written down. It's going to cost you a lot, not just financially, but on your roster, right? Going to have to give up, you know, whatever, players, prospects, picks. It's going to be a cost, you know. Probably not RJ uh, Barrett or Mitchell Robinson, but I would like to think Knox and Frank will be in the deal. Which is whatever, I deal with that. Uh, for CP3 though, I don't know. But the biggest thing here is going to cost more than just Knox and Frank. Probably have to you know add in some draft capital to send over to OKC. Definitely some of the LAC, Dallas, and Charlotte picks. Those a total of five picks between those three teams that we've gotten. So that's going to be in the mix for sure. If you're getting to CP3, I'm pretty sure OKC is going to ask for, for some... Uh, some draft capital. I don't know if I do that, <laughs> but um, it's a, it's just also it's just another short term band aid move. <laughs> he won't be here in two years, you know, or or just by the time the Knicks are ready to complete, uh, complete to uh, fucking uh, compete. By the time the Knicks are ready to contend, legitimately, if ever, he won't be here. You know, he'll be a short-term stopgap. So we're getting him, what, just to threaten or barely make the playoffs for a couple of years? And while we're doing this, while we're being a middle-of-the-pack team, we're going to lose out on some decent lottery positionings? Right? The worst place to be, and we say it all the time in the NBA, is the middle-of-the-pack. And the Knicks, with CP3, will become a you know eight seed. Likely, at best. You're not getting a good draft position. You're not getting a good spot there. Maybe seven seed, and that's even worse. And then again, the age. He's on the he's on the decline soon, probably. Fucking he's thirty six years old in May. He's got a little under four thousand total career minutes, including the postseason under his belt, and 1,129 career games altogether. 
So how much longer will CP3 be able to play at the level that makes this contract worth it or somewhat worth it, right? He's not going to be putting, he hasn't put up 20 and 10 anymore. I'll tell you that. He's more of an 18 and seven guy. That's going to start dropping 16 and six, 15 and five, 14 and four. You know, it's not going to be, you know, 13 and four. It's not going to be the fucking same. It's going to start dropping eventually. Maybe, maybe it does this year. So there are a lot, a lot of risks here when talking about trading for Chris Paul. I'm not the biggest advocate for it. Um, I just, I want to stick to this long-term plan. I'd rather try and find a point guard in the draft and fail doing that than using CP3 to stall time. That's just my take. That's just my humble opinion. Um, Let's head to break one more time, or we got a couple more breaks, but let's head to break um, before we start talking about Emmanuel quickly. Be right back. I'm on a few different social media platforms today. If you want to follow my Instagram account, follow at Rob J. Carbone. If you want to follow my Facebook or Twitter account, follow at NY Sports Talk RC. Fucking, um, keep forgetting to mute the fucking mic every time I go to break. So I'm sorry if there's a bit of an echo there. Fucking always forget. Always. The software I use, the software I use is so fucking horse shit. Maybe it's just my tablet not made for video editing. I have a Surface Pro. I believe the 8th. 8th or the 7th. It's the second newest version. Last time I checked. But it's not fucking. Video editing, not the best. Video software, it's slow. Still haven't fucking loaded on the screen here. If you're watching the podcast, the fucking title screen's not even in yet. Episode 169. It's supposed to fucking say it right there, but it's still taking time to load. There we go. Nick's off-season draft talk, part six, episode 169. BD4. <laughs> Emmanuel Quickly. That's who we got. Um, surface uh, fucking coming up in rumors lately. 21-year-old kid, a guard from Kentucky, two-year player, projected to go late in the first or mid-second, making the Knicks um, an option, making him an option for the Knicks at either 28 or 38. 6'3", 188 pounds. The wingspan I looked all over, I found a bunch of them, ranging from 6'7 to 6'10. But, you know, looking at this kid, he's got long arms, okay? Put it that way, he's got very long arms. He was a five-star recruit at a high school, and he won the SEC Player of the Year this past season, averaging 16-4-2 in 30 games, 20 starts. Um, John Calipari likes him a lot. He talks him up a lot. 
Calipari said he reminds him of Jamal Murray, and I believe he also used Tyler Hero as a comp, which I've heard from a couple other people as well. And I've also heard Shea Gilgis, uh, Gilgis Alexander. Those are some comparisons. Some very optimistic ones, you know, some some high praises there. Um, so yeah, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to signing someone like quickly at, at, with the third pick the Knicks have this year at 38. Wouldn't be opposed. You know, the pros are he's, I think the first thing everybody notices is his elite shooting. He's a knockdown shooter and the Knicks need knockdown shooting, right? Especially in the backcourt. Um, he was 43% from three point distance this past season, 145 total attempts, which was 4.8 per game. He's got a good, quick form, nice release, and excellent footwork on the jumper, too. As you can see here, really good footwork. And the free throw numbers are great, too. 92% on 156 attempts, 5.2 per game this past season. So, you know, the form, the free throw shooting, the three-point shooting, all very good indicators that, that he will translate into a good shooter as well in the NBA. Doesn't have much of a mid-range jump shooting game. Um, It's good. It's inconsistent, but it's good. I think his best shot in the mid-range area you're going to see is that floater. He's got a very good floater. One of the best floaters, more efficient floaters in in college basketball this past season. He was 45% on his floaters, which is a remarkable number. Um, High basketball IQ. Love types of love those types of players. Quickly and on the other end of the floor, he's a good on-ball defender. You know, he's somebody who is not afraid to get skinny and navigate around screens. Um, he guards the ones exceptionally well, and he'll be able to guard most twos as well. Again, good length with that wingspan, um, and and going back to the offense, his shooting is what he's known for. And it's the movement shooting and the shot creating potential that everybody likes. Um, he's got great off the ball awareness when he's running on offense. You know, he's able to, you know, although some of it may be scheme, some of it might be Calipari's scheme. He does quickly, does do a fabulous job of attacking open windows for open looks, for good looks. He's good at finding, you know, open pockets to spot up in. You know, he runs the lanes also exceptionally well in transition. And he knows, he just knows where to go on the floor. He's good at getting open for himself, getting open without the ball. That's him. Um, and when he, you know, when he spots up, he, he's good. He does that fake often, that ball fake. And then he'll do a little one-two dribble into a sidestep, a step back, some pull-up jumping. So he's good, you know, with that one-two move. So those are the positives. You know, knockdown shooter who can play D. So potential three and D point guard. Um, some of the cons now he he is inconsistent and, and a little bit streaky. In his freshman season at Kentucky, thirty seven percent field goals, um, and eleven points per forty minutes. Nothing really standing out at you. You. <clears throat> In his sophomore season, while he did again average sixteen points. Um, it was the last 20 games, he played 30 games, but the last 20 where he scored in all double figures, 
19 points per game during that span, 47% from three. But then you look at the first 10 games, he was 31% from three, averaging 11 points. Um, so we had some ups and downs, you know, in his college career. So inconsistent resume in college. Um, the playmaking, the passing is not great for a point guard. You want to see a little bit better playmaking out there. Um, you know, he's not a primary uh, playmaker, nor is he a secondary creator either. You know, Calipari used, I think, two other guys on the ball before him this past season. Just because they were much better in pick and roll scenarios, you know. He had quickly playing off the ball a ton, I think maybe 5% point guard in 2020. Um, he was a pass-first point guard his whole life before he entered collegiate ball. So maybe there's room to believe he can become a, a good playmaker. But, you know, judging by what we saw in college, maybe it was scheme, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe he's just not. Maybe he'll just become a, a shooter and, and a defender. More one-dimensional offensively. Um, also needs some work on the off-ball team defense. That's going to need some work for sure. Not the quickest feat. Um, and then here I have, last but not least, in terms of his uh, cons, his finishing needs a lot of work. Again, he's got a slight frame, slight build, so he needs more muscle to work on that finishing. He was just a putrid 42% at the rim in 2020. Um, and you just watch him. He's not very explosive, you know, not a lot of pop, and he's going to, you know, shoot that floater before he attacks the rim. And he'll pull up for the jumper, a little sidestep, step back before he goes all the way into the RA. You know, that slight build hurts him finishing, and, you know, that, that'll also hurt him. He's going to have to get a little more muscle in order to defend the bigger twos in the NBA. Um, but that's it, you know, with Emmanuel quickly, you know, I still would take, again, he's a, he's a second round pick, you know, he's somebody who I think could be available at 38. And if that were to be even at 27 or 28, is it, I wouldn't hate that either, <clears throat> but that's quickly. That's, that's him and a good player who, who, you know, again, in a draft like this, whatever, Let's head to break and then we'll get to our NYY, NYK question of the day. All right, fellas. So really quick, I just want to remind you that if you haven't subscribed to my podcast on the many different platforms that I'm on, you can do so right now. And all you got to do to do that is go to my website. Just go to N. Why sports talk RC dot wordpress dot com forward slash connect. Once again, in order to subscribe to the podcast and listen to the podcast or watch it on the many platforms we have, go to my website at ny sports talk RC dot wordpress dot com forward slash connect. All right, let's get to the NYY NYK question of the day.
Alright, so fucking last time out in episode 168, I asked you guys who was the last New York Nick to win an MVP award. The answer to that question is fucking 50 years ago. It was Willis Reed in 1970. Fuck. There you go. We are dog shit. <laughs> Willis Reed was the answer to that question. Last Nick to win an MVP. Um, Episode 169 tonight. This episode's question. This episode's NYYNYK question of the day. Who has the most rebounds in Nick's history? Alright. Hint. A little hint here. Willis Reed is not the answer. He is second. Who's first? Pretty easy answer. You know, if you're a Knicks fan who knows, you know, their history a teeny bit, you'll get this. It's easy. Alright. That's our NYYNYK question of the day. Guys, I think that's it. I think that's it. So thank you for stopping by. Thank you for listening to BD4, episode 169 of the podcast. BD4, where there is no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. I am your host, Rob Carbone. Thank you all for tuning in. God bless you all. Hope you all have a nice night. It is a Tuesday night as I speak. The episode should be out the same night. I'm going to edit this and put it right up. Maybe you're listening to this Wednesday morning on your way to work. You're saying, hey, you know what I should listen to? I want to listen to Rob Carbone's BD4. You know, the podcast with two listeners, with one subscriber. (laughs) No, but I do appreciate you guys stopping by. I'm going to go cry because I lost my under for 9.5 tonight and my wallet is hurting really bad. Um, Hope you guys have a good one, though. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, God bless. Have a good night, and I'll see you next time. Ciao. This podcast is sponsored by Anchor.